All right, very good, very good. Let's get into the series today. I'm really excited about this word. I just, man, there's so much good stuff in it. Um, where we're at right now in terms of Christmas, we're in that, that time of preparation, right? Or maybe some of you already have. As a matter of fact, who in here has their tree and all the decorations already up and ready to rock, okay? Okay, good, very good. How many of those trees are real trees? Who, real tree people in the house? All right, here's our artificial people. Oh, yeah. Why are artificial tree people so cocky? By the way, you ever notice that? Yeah, that's right. Mm, didn't have to go to no lot. We're forward thinking, all right? All right, very good. Who doesn't have a tree up yet that plans on having one? Wow, okay, very good. All right, you know, maybe you love Jesus a little less. Whatever, it's cool. Uh, I don't know what you're waiting on, you know? Time is short. Let's go. Who's, who's watched over five Christmas movies already? Okay, how about, t- keep your hand up if it's ten. 12? How many are there, right? Goodness gracious. All right, very good. I can't hate, we watched Elf, I think it was November 1st is when we started, you know, just let's go, let's, let's roll with it. Um, but we're, we're preparing for the day. It's not Christmas Day yet, right? But we're in that season, right? We're in that season preparing everything, going, doing all this shopping and all the decorating. We're starting to listen to the Michael Bublé Christmas album, which is really the only true Christmas album you can listen to, except for now, come and see. All right, very good. Um, no, but there's just, this is the season that we're in, and it's, and it's a lot of fun, but it's really preparation for that big day, Christmas Day, which is still, uh, you know, on the horizon here. And we know that God is a God who prepares. And there's actually a story in the Bible all about the preparation for Christmas, the things that happen before Jesus is born. And I want to look at that this morning because it's a fascinating story with all sorts of good things in it. And it's out of Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus is born. In Luke chapter 1 is the time of preparation for Jesus' birth. All right, And we're going to pick it up, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. It says this. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Okay. So let's break these couple of verses down just a little bit. First, it explains Zechariah and Elizabeth as righteous in God's eyes. Wow. Like, is there a greater compliment that you could possibly give someone than being righteous in God's eyes? Yes, I might be extremely handsome, but that doesn't mean that I'm righteous in God's eyes, right? Like, the ultimate compliment to be righteous in God's eyes, and that's how it explains Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's all you, we really need to know about them. It says that they were careful to obey the Lord's commandments and regulations, right? But then after that, what does it say? It says that they had no children, all right? So in their righteousness, the greatest compliment that you could ever give anyone, it says that they had no children. So their righteousness did not yield the thing that they wanted most dearly in their lives, Because the truth is, y'all, there are times in our life when we have to drink the cup before us because God is preparing something else well in advance that we might not see and that we might not understand or we might not ever dream of, but that doesn't mean that we stop being righteous before the Lord. And so here they are, righteous, careful to obey the Lord's commandments, right? And yet they have no children. That's tough. 
But they continue to drink that cup, just like Jesus in the garden. Father, there is a way to let this cup pass before me, but not my will, yours be done. Jesus drank the cup because God was preparing something far greater. And so here is Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they lived this whole marriage, this whole existence together, wanting a child, being righteous, being careful, and yet no child. It's tough. It's very tough. And then it goes on to say that they were very old. Not just old, right? They're very old, okay? Thanks for that, Luke. Appreciate that distinction there. They're very old. So what does that tell us? The ship has sailed. The ship has sailed. Maybe they had been praying and praying and praying and praying. And the years went by, and all of a sudden they're very old. You know what? I guess the answer is no. So we're just going to stop praying for that. Because we're very old now. God's answered the prayer. He just answered it in a way that we didn't want. And now here we are, very old, and the prayers have stopped. But you know what I love about Zechariah and Elizabeth? It doesn't say they were once righteous towards God. But then they didn't get what they wanted. And so their righteousness faded. It doesn't say that. It says that they were righteous. Even in the midst of being told no. Even after the prayers stop and the hope of a child is gone, they still honor the Lord with everything that they are. No children, very old, righteous in God's eyes. It says in verse 8, One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside, Praying. Now, we can read over this and just kind of gloss over what's really going on, but when you understand the magnitude of what Zechariah is doing here, it changes the whole story. It changes the entire story. In Israel at that time, there was between 18,000 and 20,000 priests serving the church. And of those 18 to 20,000, they were broken up into groups. And they would go and they would serve the church, they would serve the temple, they would serve the sanctuary for about two weeks. And they were broken down to about 400 priests for those two weeks. And of those 400, there's only so many jobs, you would have your lot pulled. They would, they would literally almost do like a lottery. They would just call names out of a hat, right, to see who got to serve. And so for Zechariah to have his name called, not just called, but to be the one serving at the altar of incense was a true once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And it's happening now. God has called his name to be the priest to serve at the altar of incense right now. Why? Because God is preparing something. Zechariah's name isn't called on accident. This wasn't by chance. This was God-ordained. He's saying, I want you, Zechariah. Now, the altar of incense was most associated with prayer. All right? Prayer was the altar of incense. And if you're familiar with the Bible or not, prayer is often represented by incense. Psalms 141 verse 2, Accept my prayer as incense offered to you in my upraised hands as an evening offering. In Revelation, John sees our prayers in heaven in, this, in golden bowls 
of incense. That's how God describes our prayers in heaven, that they are incense. What does that mean? It means that they are a fragrant, fragrant odor to the Lord, a fragrant perfume to the Lord. So when we pray to him, it is something that is pleasing to God. And so here is Zechariah. His name is called to go to the place of prayer, the altar of incense, and represent his people on this specific day in this specific time because God is preparing something amazing. And he chooses Zechariah. The altar of incense, by the way, is what was was placed in, the, in what was called the holy place within the temple. All right, so as you would go, come into the temple, you go a certain distance, you would eventually reach the holy place. And that's where the altar of incense was. That's where they burned the incense in the temple. Just beyond that, there was a huge veil that separated the holy place, where Zechariah was, from the holy of holies, which is where God's presence was. So God was bringing Zechariah all the way up to the veil, right before the Holy of Holies. In other words, Zechariah, I'm going to bring you as far as I can, but I can't bring you any further. Because the Holy of Holies was the place where the the high priest only went in once a year on the Day of Atonement, right? That was it. That was it. And if anyone else crossed that veil and went into the Holy of Holies, they would die. They would literally drop dead because the presence of God was so strong they couldn't stand it. And so God is saying, come on, Zechariah, I'm bringing you right to the edge, right to the brink, but I can't bring you any further. I'm going to have you in this place, this holy place where, you, where the altar of incense is, where prayer is all about, and I'm going to call that place the holy place. Think about that for a second, y'all. When we are on our knees, when we are praying to God, a lot of times with tears in our eyes, desperate as we can be, Weak as we might be, God says, that's the holy place right there. That's the holy place. Not when we have our act together and we've done all these things and we've memorized 800 scriptures and we know all this and that. No, no, no. He says, the holy place is when you're on your knees praying to me. That's what I desire. And that's the holy place. And after everything that Zechariah has been through in his life, he says, Zechariah, I'm calling your name and I want you in the holy place for this. I want you at the altar of incense. I've chosen you. It says in verse 11, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. All right. As priest, Zechariah is in that holy place representing his people. Right? What do we learn right off the bat? Zechariah was righteous in God's eyes, all right? So as he's in this holy place praying, he's praying for the salvation of his people. He's praying for the coming king, the Messiah, right? He's praying on behalf of the nation of Israel. He's not in there going, God, uh, while we're at it, you know, I kind of have a stomach ache. Can you heal that, right? That's not what this is about. There's no personal prayers happening in this moment, right? And even if there were, he's very old. He's given up on those prayers. Maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, he would have been tempted to pray for his wife, for a son, for a daughter, for a child. But that ship has sailed. He's in there praying on behalf of his people at the altar of incense in this holy place for God to bring the king of kings back. 
And the angel comes into that room, into the holy place, and he says, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. And he's thinking, well, which one, right? Which one? And how amazing is it, y'all, that at this time, in this time, he's using Zechariah, that Zechariah's name was called. Because Zechariah, when he and Elizabeth were married, and everyone around them is having babies, no babies. And they pray, and he prays, and he prays, and nothing. When he looks at his wife, who he loves, and she's downcast, sad and broken on the inside because there's no baby, he prays, and he prays, and he prays, and nothing. Maybe when he starts to hear the whispers when they walk down the street, because, you know, to be barren back then, people thought of it was, a, it was judgment from God, that you had done something wrong, and this was your punishment. So who knows what all the whispers were like that he had to hear about his wife. And in the midst of all that, he prayed and he prayed and he prayed and nothing. You would almost think, my prayers are broken. Something's wrong. Why would God do this? It must be me. And in a moment where God is going to make this grand announcement, at the altar of incense, the most holy place that is most closely related to prayer, God says, I choose you, Zechariah. I choose you. Your prayers were never broken. I heard every one of them. And I want to say to all of us in here, but specifically to some of us in here that, that need to hear this this morning, listen to me closely. Just because your prayers are not answered in the way or the time that you want does not mean that your prayers are not incredibly valuable to God. Incredibly valuable to him. He called Zechariah of all people who probably thought, me? I prayed all the time and nothing happened. And you're going to call my name for the altar of incense to go into the most holy place? Surely there's got to be someone better. I know that person over there has an awesome testimony. Why don't you use them? God says, no, 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 I want you. I heard your prayers. I heard your prayers. God has heard your, I love how it says when Gabriel tells him this, I heard your prayer, singular. Like, I heard that one. I heard it. Amen. I think in those moments where Zechariah and Elizabeth were praying years and years, that same prayer over and over, desperate as they were, I think, and I think God's heart broke for them during that time. Because he he couldn't tell them why yet. Yet. I'm preparing something. I'm preparing something. Just trust me. I'm preparing something. Gabriel goes on to say, God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. Like, wait, what? That's not the prayer I thought you were talking about, Gabriel. Like, we gave up on that a while ago. I don't know if you read earlier in the verses, but we're very old, right? 
We're very old. You're talking about that prayer? We gave up on that a long time ago. He goes on to say in verse 14, you will have great joy and gladness. Hmm. Makes you wonder what they had before, right? And many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. Check this out in verse 17. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I am an old man now. And my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to you to bring you this good news. In verse 17, I want to read this part again because this is powerful. It says, he will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord and will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. Okay, this isn't in your notes. But in Malachi chapter 4, starting in verse 5 and 6, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Chapter 4 is the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. And verses 5 and 6 are the last verses of the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. And it says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Gabriel is telling him what you heard 400 years ago, the last words of the Old Testament I am telling are going to be fulfilled through your son. 400 years of silence after it's written in Malachi. Nothing. And then, bam, the Holy of Holies. That holy place that, that, that Zechariah is in, Gabriel appears and says, oh yeah, you know those verses that were written all those years ago? That, trust me, Zechariah is familiar with. Those are going to be fulfilled through your son, Johnny. God heard your prayer. He was preparing something. He was preparing something. And there's no way he could have told you up until this moment. And see, y'all, here's the thing. The, the human condition, how we are built, we cannot fathom the things of heaven. We can't. They're too big. That's why, that's why we, are, we are rocked to our core when we experience heavenly things. When we encounter a move of the Holy Spirit, right? When, when we're in, caught up in worship or when we see someone get saved or baptized, it, it wrecks us because it's not something we could ever do ourselves. It is a gift from heaven because they are heavenly things. And Zechariah, when he hears this, he is wrecked to his core because this is a heavenly thing that, that Gabriel is telling him. And he can't fathom it. He's saying it's going to happen through your son. You're going to call him John. This is a heavenly moment. And you want to know why you had to drink that cup for all those years, praying those prayers over and over, and you heard nothing, you heard no, and you stopped praying. is because God was preparing something that was so far beyond your understanding that you wouldn't have been able to get it. But I had to bring you into this holy place. I had to have you burn the incense, and I had to come as an angel here before you, just me and you, nobody else to tell you this amazing heavenly truth. That's what it takes. 
in this holy place. Thank you, Jesus. But Zechariah doubts. And when we doubt, doubt, y'all, it's broken up like this. Just like the scripture says. It's broken up like this. I am an old man versus I am Gabriel. Or I am a priest who can go to the holy place but no further versus I stand in the very presence of God. We have our understanding, our limited understanding of who we are versus heavenly things. And when we pit ourselves versus heavenly things, heavenly things win every time. God's plan wins every time. And we have to release our understanding in those moments when God just seems too good, when the timing just seems that off, right? When I couldn't have just heard that the way I heard it. Say, wait a second, that's a heavenly thing. That's a heavenly thing. Zechariah, in the holy place, as a priest, is encountered by Gabriel. He's like, I'm old. I'm old. He was going up against heavenly things. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things. In all things. When it looks like the world is passing us by, in all things. When we pray that same prayer over and over and over again, and we either hear no, not yet, or nothing at all, in all things. Whatever the situation might be, however bleak it might look, when it doesn't look like there's any way out, we have no answers to the million questions that we're asking in all things. That all is an absolute all. All things. God works for the good. God works for the good. Zechariah and Elizabeth were praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying for that child. And God was preparing. And what he was preparing was very good. God in all things works for the good. So whatever the situation might be, whatever's going on in your life, the life of someone around you, know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, called according to his purposes. There's the catch. It's according to his purposes. We have to remember who the main character of this story is and who this is all about. Incredibly hard for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Incredibly hard. Doesn't mean that God didn't care about their prayers. It doesn't mean that he didn't love them. He was preparing something, but it was according to his purposes. When we make ourselves the main character in this story, the verse doesn't change that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to my own James purposes. Right? But when we start living in my own purposes, then we become our own savior, right? In the center of our own world, and we get taken right off track. But when we remember that it's God's purposes, that it's God's kingdom, 
that Jesus is the main character in the story, then we can be like Zechariah and Elizabeth and be told no or not hear anything at all and continue to remain righteous in God's eyes. But when we make it about ourselves and we start hearing no, I know how all of us are going to react to that. We become like little children. We want to take our ball and go home. Because that's not according to my purpose, God. My purpose says, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me right now. God's purpose says, if I have to drink this cup, I will, because I know that you are a good God, and in all things you are you will work good, and you're preparing something that I could never fathom because you operate in heavenly things. Where I am me, this is Gabriel. Where I can only go this far, you go all the way. And so I'm not going to pit myself against you. I'm not going to doubt your goodness in my life because I believe in you. And those songs that we sing on Sunday mornings, I believe are true. They're not just catchy melodies. It's truth that we're singing. It's a true God that we worship. It's a true God that we serve. And if we just continue to pray and pray and remember that our prayers are so valuable to the Lord, he calls them incense, and he meets us in that holy place, he will work good. He will work good according to his purpose in Jesus' name. Going back to the story in verse 20 in Luke chapter 1. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. Check this out. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So what we see here is Zechariah doubted, but it didn't stop God's plan. Right? God's plans aren't based on if we believe them or not. They're based on does he say it or not. The difference is Zechariah wasn't able to shout it from the rooftops. Can you imagine this amazing news? And he wasn't able to come out and be like, I'm going to have a son! Right? It's going to happen! He didn't get to say that. He doubted. So it was just, he was silenced. But you best believe when his voice came back, he was shouting. And his voice did come back. God is merciful. God is gracious. He is forgiving. And he teaches us in those times. But he didn't in that moment get to shout it from the rooftops. Because he doubted. He pitted himself against heavenly things. It says in verse 21, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah, I love that, he's like playing charades. Uh, Verse 23, when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. I don't have the band come back up, but I just, I think in this moment where Elizabeth says this, how kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Like what joy the Lord must have felt in this time. You know, having to say no to all those prayers of a child before knowing he was preparing something, knowing that the time was coming, but he couldn't tell them. They weren't in the know yet. And then all of a sudden, it's like Zechariah's name is called. Oh, we're getting close. He goes into the most holy place. He lights the incense. Gabriel appears. And it's like, the secret's finally out, I can tell you. 
I can tell you. And then Elizabeth finds out. Oh, I know the Lord rejoiced in that moment. I know the Lord rejoiced. Because I think more than anyone else on the planet, God wanted to reveal this to them. Righteous in God's eyes. Careful to obey his commandments. Oh, here you go, Zechariah. Here you go, Elizabeth. It was never a no. I was just preparing something so much greater. And I called your name on purpose. And through you and your son, I'm going to fulfill a prophecy 400 years old. And from now till when Jesus comes back, people are going to know the name of your son. They're going to know your names. I cared about your prayers and I care about them now. And I heard everyone. I heard everyone. And now's the time. I was preparing something, but that time of preparation is over. And here he comes, your son, John. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 13, says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Every tear, every lonely night, all the frustration and the hurt is laid bare before the Lord. He sees it all. He's not going, I didn't know that. I didn't know they were struggling like that. He sees it all. And then it says in verse 14, therefore, since we have a great high priest, who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us firmly, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time See, the miracle of Jesus is that there is no stopping point anymore. Zechariah could only go to that one spot, the holy place, but then there was the veil, and then there was the holy of holies. And he could go no further. But Jesus, our great high priest, was born as a baby, leaving heaven to become the very creation that he created said, I'm going to live on this earth for the sole purpose of dying. We, we avoid death like crazy. Jesus came for the purpose of death so that that veil could be removed forever and that we can go into the Holy of Holies and have relationship with Jesus so that there is no this far but no further. It's come and see. Come and see your Savior. Come and see the King of Kings. Get on your knees in that holy place. And it's not a temple anymore. It can be in your living room, in your bedroom, in your car, right up here at the altar, by the way. And that is your most holy place. Because your prayers matter to me. And you can come with confidence as you approach this throne of grace not worried because you don't qualify, because your name wasn't called, because you don't have the rank. 
or anything like that. We come with confidence because Jesus left heaven, was born a baby, and lived life here on earth for the sole purpose to die on a cross and be resurrected three days later so that we could call him Savior and Lord and understand that it's not about what we do. It's not about earning salvation. It's that the Savior came for us and did it all for us. And I believe there's many of us in here who've grown really weary praying the same prayer over and over. And you've either heard no or you haven't heard anything at all. And I want to say to all of us in here, if that's you, know that God is a God who prepares and moves and acts. He is forward moving. He doesn't sit still. And your prayers matter so much to him. They matter so much to him. He has heard every single one of them. He's heard every single one of them. And he's counted every tear. And it's all laid before him. And I want you to know right now, the Lord is telling me this right now, he's proud of you. He loves you so much. And as you continue to go to that holy place and pray those prayers, you are righteous in his eyes. You're righteous in his eyes. And he loves you so much. I want to close this morning by having a time of prayer. So stand up. We could have Sal and Carmel if you could come up. Valerie, Kyle, John, Joanne, Hannah and Rushton if y'all could come. We want to stand with you in agreement and pray with you. If you're fighting just discouragement, you're just kind of ready to give up on it. You're kind of in that the ship has sailed mentality or whatever it might be. We want to stand with you in agreement and pray with you in the holy place, in this altar, where I know that incense rises into heaven and fills those golden bowls and the Lord is, cherishes them. If that's you this morning, would you come up and we'll be in agreement with you on whatever it might be. And I just want to say again, like Kyle said earlier, this church we want to stand with you we do not care this is not an admission of anything except that you're human let us stand with you and encourage you and speak truth into your life you need that from other people a lot of times we try and give our own little pep talks and it just gets old we need someone else to say it so if that's you this morning if you're fighting discouragement you've gotten weary and doing good you're just tired, you're at your end, come on up. If you need prayer for anything at all, please come up, whatever it might be. We're going to enter back into worship, and if that's you, here we are. You came to church for something, right? Here we are. So, Father, thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way for us to approach you all the time. There is no veil anymore. There is no separation we can enter right in. Your word says with confidence, with boldness, we approach your throne. And God, I just pray right now over all those in here that feel like Zechariah and Elizabeth, maybe forgotten or just tired or it's past, the moment is past. 
God, that you would strengthen them, encourage them, remind them that you see them, that you've heard every prayer, and that you are moving, and that in all things, you're working good according to your purposes. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you were born here on earth as a man so that we could, you could say freely, come and see. Come and see me. I'm right here for you. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship.